Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRugger Personal Finance, episode 91. And in this episode, I'll discuss the concepts of bull and bear markets and go into specific strategies which may be used by active investors in dealing with a bull and bear market. We have just had one in March and April in Australia and around the world, and we haven't really gone back to the highs of the Feb 2020 markets when it comes to the ASX. Other countries, like the North American markets, especially the United States, have reached um, uh, record highs since their lows back in Feb and March. For those of you that are new to the channel, the aim here is the three E's. The first one being is to educate. Be educated about financial literacy and your own personal finances. And be empowered is the second E. That is to be empowered with knowledge so that when you go and speak to your accountant, your lawyer, your um, financial advisor or planner, you have some financial literacy knowledge in order to be able to speak to them competently and confidently. And the third E is to be entertained. Now, just a bit of a disclaimer, this is not a financial advisory podcast. I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you wanna to make to your own advisors before you make those decisions. But if you are stuck on what to do in terms of broad principles, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. That is your money never to be touched ever again. Step two, what do you do with that money? You invest it, ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. I just invest in index funds because I understand index funds and this stock market. Step three is reinvest those dividends that you get as a result of those investments. The power of compounding is real. Don't spend those dividends. Step four, you do this process for the long term. I'm not talking seven, 10, 15 years. I'm talking 20, 30, or even 40 plus years. The earlier you start, the more time you have and time is your friend. Step five is automate the process. Automate these investments. The more automated things are, the less likely you'll make a mistake, the more likely you'll continue to stick to the plan, and the more likely you'll retire with more income and wealth than you probably ever imagined. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, to make the lives of people around you a lot better. Now to the main topics of bull and bear markets, and then we'll go on to have a specific look at bear markets and devise some strategies which active investors may like to take advantage of. Most of what I'm talking about is the stock market, but bull and bear markets exist in commodities, real estates, or any other asset classes. But in this episode, we're mainly focusing on the stock market. 
Now, thanks to the anonymous surgeon who asked me this question via Facebook to talk about the specific investing strategies in a bear market. So just coming back to the investing terminology here, when it comes to investing, market conditions can be described as bull or bear markets. A bull market is a rising market and the economy and the fundamentals are very sound across the board. A bear market is a declining market. The economy is slowing or receding and usually results in a recession. Usually the markets decline by about 20% or more. If it's just 10 to 19% in terms of market declines, then it's called a market correction and not a bear. If someone is bullish on something, it means they're optimistic on that stock, on the economy, on the market in general, or whatever they're talking about. For example, investors are bullish on Tesla stock. If someone is bearish on something, it just means they're pessimistic on that stock, economy, market, or whatever they're talking about. For example, investors are bearish on Australian bank stocks due to the receding Aussie economy. Over the long term, most investors are bullish on the economy and markets. This is something fundamental that everyone needs to understand. This is likely because over the past 100 plus years, humanity has improved on all aspects of life. Lifestyle. Think about your lifestyle today in 2020. My lifestyle today is much better than what it was even just 5 or 10 years ago. Think about life expectancy. The life expectancy around the world has gone up. Think about health. Healthcare around the world has gotten better. Think about living standards. In general, overall, humanity's living standards have improved. Not everyone has benefited from that, and they should benefit from it, but they haven't. But overall, on average, our living standards have improved. Think about technology. Just 20 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. Think about safety. And think about even crime rates. And many other facets of humanity. No matter how much you think that humanity today is worse off than what it was 30 years ago, that's actually not true. Crime rates are lower, traffic accidents are lower, people are living longer, people are relatively more happier. So over the long run, humanity has somehow managed to better things in almost all aspects of life. So overall, that reflects on the economy and that reflects on the stock market and that's why overall in the long term, investors are generally bullish on average. So it's important to not confuse the term bear market with volatility. Volatility is a statistical measure of a stock or market swing. The general definition of a volatile market is the 1% rule. When the markets swing up and down 1% in any given day, it's thought to have had a volatile market. Also, volatility is not the same as risk. Volatile assets and stocks are generally considered riskier in the short term, but the terms are not equivalent. I discussed these key concepts in episode 48, so useful to listen to that episode if you're interested in volatility and risk as a financial concept. The period of investment should also be taken into account when it comes to volatility and risk. So to give you an example, over the short term, the stock market can be risky and can be volatile. But over the long term, 30, 40 plus years, the stock market, yeah, can have some volatility, 
but largely is risk-free. There are other forms of risks which I've discussed um, called financial risk in episode 75 and also sequence of returns risk in episode 28. Both are also very useful topics to revisit and understand more thoroughly when it comes to risk. Before we proceed, it's critical to understand that markets are often ahead of reality. I'm talking about the stock market here. So markets are forward seeing. This has panned out to be true during the recent bear market in March and April, especially in Australia, when the ASX dropped greater than 20%. And now four months on, we're officially in a recession, rise in unemployment for the first time in Australia in 29 years. What a great run we've had. So let's talk a little bit about bull markets and then I'll go on and speak about bear markets and then talk about specific strategies. What are the characteristics of a bull market? In a bull market, there are massive demand for stocks and limited supply. Everyone wants to buy stocks. Therefore, prices keep rising because less de uh, more demand and less supply. The selling of securities is also reduced because people are bullish and want to hold on to their stocks for the long term. This results in investor competition, thereby further driving markets to new highs. Participation rates in the market are often very high for investors. And there is a strong link between the stock market and the economy, although this hasn't really been panned out to be true in recent times, particularly in the US economy, where unemployment is rising, but the stock market is hitting new record highs. And even our ASX has rebounded quite nicely, despite terrible economic news. So again, the stock markets are forward seeing and may not always reflect the economy, but in a bullish market, generally it does. You have a look at what happened last year, the Aussie stock market reached all-time highs and the economy was doing reasonably well. So what are the characteristics of a bear market? In a bear market, there is less demand for stocks, more selling than usual and more supply than usual and participation from investors is lower. All of this drives prices down. During a bear market, usually the economic activity that follows is terrible Unemployment rises and uncertainty and anxiety dominates the investor sentiment. That is kind of what we've been feeling in Aussies, um, in Australia, since March when the market tanked. And now there's a fair bit of uncertainty in the business world and economic world, especially in Victoria, since the further extension of lockdowns. So identifying the trends, let's have a look at the US markets um, because I found a lot more data uh, when compared to the Aussie market. We, we will talk about the Aussie market as well, but the data is very sound with the US market. Since 1932, America has had 13 bull markets. On average, each bull market has produced returns of 181%. That's 181. The bull market's range of, in terms of investor returns, has been 48% to 417%. And each bull market lasted on average 62 months. And the range of that was between 31.6 months to 131.4 months, which was the previous 10 years in America, where they've had the longest bull market in record history. In 1932, and since then, America also has had 13 bear markets, which makes sense. Because after each bull market, there usually is a bear market, and after every bear market, there usually is a bull market. On average, each bear market 
has receded by 35.2%. Compare that to the average bull market increase of 181%. On average, the range of a bear market has been, returns-wise, 19.9% to 60%. The range for the bull market, remember, was 48 to 417%. And each bear market has lasted for around 17.13 months, with range being just 0.7 months to 61.8 months. Now for the Aussie markets. Not much data, but what I could gather um, was since 1900, the Australian stock market, although it hasn't been centralised because we had Adelaide, Melbourne and Sydney stock exchanges, the Aussie stock market collectively has been negative 23 years since 1900. And of those 23 years, on average, it's been down by about 19%. But it's been positive for 96 years. On average, the positive return has been over 81% of the time. So the moral of the story here is, bull markets last longer, they produce more returns on average, and even the worst bull market is better than most bear markets. So why is it called bull markets and bear markets. Both bulls and bears have incredible strength and the stock market resembles strength. So the image of a bull striking or a bear striking gives a visual impression on the markets. The terms are derived from the way they attack their opponents. A bull will thrust its horns in an upward motion while a bear will swipe down its paws onto its opponents. So that is bull and that is bear markets. Overall, investors are bullish. That is very, very important. And overall, the stock market is forward-seeing. So how do you invest in a bull market? Well, in a bull market, you need to prepare ahead of time. You need to prepare for the next bull market. This means saving as much as possible, having liquidity in your asset portfolio. Perhaps you may want to sell your bonds, sell your property to cash up even more so that you're prepared for selling um, your current assets to try and put it into the stock market because we know that the stock market will rise in a bull market usually very, very heavily. But you've got to be prepared for your costs and fees associated with selling any assets, including having to realize capital gains. So again, I don't do this. I just keep buying on a regular basis, whether it's a bull or bear market. Remember, this episode is more focused on what active investors might do. I'm not an active investor. I invest passively. You have to have a long position. This is when you buy a stock and buy into an index or in anticipation that over the long term, the price will rise. The aim here is to buy it low and hopefully sell it high. And the difference represents your profit. The second strategy is you might want to do what's called call options. Now, I've discussed financial derivatives in episodes 56, uh, where I talk in detail about call and put options. But in summary, a call option is when you have a contract to buy a specific stock at a strike price, which is a specific price, until an expiration date. This means you have the option, but not the obligation, to buy that stock. Let's see how this might play out. The stock market rises over the past the strike price, not the stock market, sorry, the actual stock. It rises past the strike price and happens before the expiration of the contract of the call option. 
you exercise your option to buy the stock at the stock price, and then the stock rises, you sell the stock and make a cool profit, minus the premiums paid for the privilege of having a call option. The only thing is, for you to have a contract or the option in the first place, you may need to pay a premium, called a option premium. This is a bit like an insurance premium. In another scenario, the stock price never goes past the strike price. You don't exercise your option to buy the stock. Remember, you're not obligated to. You let the option contract expire. You don't make a profit and they only pay the premium for the privilege of holding the call option contract. So you don't lose much money. There is a third scenario where the call option premium or the contract price rises as the expiration date nears and the stock is rising and the holder of the call option contract can sell the contract in the open market as well without exercising to buy the stock at all. This only works if the stock is above the strike price, in which case you don't buy the stock or exercise the call option, but merely sell the call option contract. That is, you are selling the privilege of buying that stock at the strike price to someone else. That's called options trading. Now, derivatives trading is a bit like betting and it's extremely risky. I do not buy put or call options ever, but you may want to do that in a bull market. Generally speaking, investing in a bull market is easy. Everyone is optimistic. Stocks are rising. Everyone, everything goes up forever, and it's a matter of buying and holding. For active investors, they need to really focus on the bargains and look at undervalued stocks. This may mean focusing on fundamental stock analysis. And I'll discuss this concept of fundamental stock analysis with specific reference to corporate actions in episode 76. Episode 77 is about PE ratio and more. And episode 78 was price to book ratio and more. So if you're interested in those concepts, go back and listen to them and brush up on those concepts. That is the bull market. The bull market is relatively easy to deal with. Everyone's happy. Let's talk about the bear market, which is where the question comes from from the uh, Facebook forums. How do you invest in a bear market? Now, we've just had a bear market in March and April in Australia when the stock market plummeted more than 20%, signaling a downturn in the economy and preceding an Australian recession. So how do you handle such a crisis? Remember, a bear market means things are on the cheap. Imagine going shopping at Coles for your fortnightly shopping. You see those yellow discount stickers on your favorite products. Do you buy more? Do you stock up? Of course. Why would you let go of the opportunity? So you need to think like this if you're an active investor when it comes to bear markets. People are fearful. People are afraid. So it's time to be greedy and pounce on the opportunities. First of all, bear markets are a fact of life. Accept them and move on. This is a very important point. There's no point worrying about the bear markets. In fact, get excited about a bear market. So here are six to seven strategies that you could possibly use if you're an active investor to deal with a bear market. Strategy one, I've talked about this before, dollar cost averaging. If you keep investing in a bear market, weekly or fortnightly, regular investments, it'll end up buying more stocks for the same amount of investments because stocks have declined in value during a bear market. 
This means your average cost of the stock declines over the bear market. Now, this strategy works for index funds and ETFs as well. You don't have to do this with individual stocks. This is fantastic, but we have discussed above bull markets last longer. On average, produce greater returns and absolutely blitz the bear markets and often occur right after the bear market, which means all of those stocks you bought on the cheap during the bearish times, that is in March and April this year, will rise in value and you have a real chance of profiting huge amounts. So it's counterintuitive. Why buy when everything is crashing, right? Because everyone is so afraid. Because the fundamentals of the economy and the stock market over the long term hasn't changed. Let's use an example to highlight this point. During the COVID crisis in March and April, the ASX fell massively from Feb 20th to March 23rd. It fell from 7,100 points to 4,500 points, roughly. That's a 36% drop. By April 22nd, it had already risen to 5,134 points. And by 10th of June, it had come back up to the 6,147 point mark. This means if you consistently invested $1,000 per month during this time, in March, you would have bought a lot more units in the S&P ETF index fund. In April, you still would have bought a lot more units for reasonable amounts. And in June, you would have bought less than what you bought in March because the same thousand bucks buys you less units. But still, we're trailing at a discount compared to the 20th of February. We are still lower than the peak. This is good, but you can see how during bad times, the thousand dollars will buy more units and during good times, the thousand dollars will buy less units. Now, if you knew when the bull market and when the bear market happens, then yeah, investing becomes easy. But no one woke up 1st of Jan 2020 and predicted a stock market crash in March or April. None of us did. And if you did, good for you. But the majority of the world, the majority of the economists, the majority of the stock market traders, and the majority of investors around the world did not predict it. And that's why dollar cost averaging is a great strategy, because irrespective of the market, you just keep putting the money in, and then over time, it will grow. Now, why is this relevant? Because it means in 30 years' time, if the stock market goes up to, let's say, 10,000 points in Australia, and all the units you bought in March, which was at the time 4,500 points, would have risen by more than double. That's how you make money. In fact, it's said that the most money you'll ever make in the stock market is during a small amount of time during a bear market, and the gains are often not realised for many, many years in the future. So if you're reflecting on this and in March and April, you didn't put any money into the stock market, it's fine. It's not, you know, it doesn't mean that the world's going to end, but you've just missed out on the greatest opportunity in terms of the worst crash that Australia has ever seen in the last 10 years. And you might've missed out on some gains, but even so, if you started investing today, over time, you're likely to make more money because over time, the indices go up. Now, of course, having said that, it's you know technically a bit of a speculation to say that the ASX will ever reach 10,000 points. I don't see anything in the future which will prevent this point reached eventually. It's a matter of when and not if. So we will reach the 10,000 point mark, but we may not reach it in the next 10 years, we may reach it in the next 30 years, but we will reach it. 
One of the biggest mistakes investors do during the bear market is they try to time the market. Now I've been monitoring Facebook groups, investor forums, and the constant question in March and April was, have we reached the bottom yet, or get crash more? It's easier for us to look back and predict, but hindsight is always 2020. The reality is, no one knows what the market will do in three to six months' time, or any time in the future. So investors may have panicked and sold their stocks in March and April, then missed the bottom in April and March, and bought back at a higher rate in May or June. This is timing the market, and this is an absolute disaster, and is not how you make money. Now, the studies for the US market have shown that if you miss the last 10 best days in the market over the two decades prior to 2018, your return on investment was 50% less. So time in the market, sticking around, is going to be very useful when it comes to bearish markets. Strategy two, shorting stocks or buying put options. I've discussed about short selling in episode 72. Take a listen to learn more about it in detail. Short selling just means you sell the stock at the current price because you think the stock is going to decline due to the bear market. The way you short the stock is borrow the stock from someone else and pay an interest premium on the borrowings. When the stock market tumbles, the stock tumbles. Then you can buy back the stock at the lower price and then give it back to the person whom you borrowed it from. The difference between the price you sold the stock and the lower price you bought the stock at a later date is your profit, less any fees and interest premiums. There is a major problem with this strategy. Shorting a stock is seen as a very risky behavior because your losses can be unlimited. If the stock goes up instead of going down, then you may be forced to buy the stock at a higher price rather than lower price, which means you just lost money and the interest on the borrowings. This is exactly what happened with people that are trying to short Tesla stocks. They thought it was going to crash. It tripled, it quadrupled. I think it's up 800% since the start of the year. So those shorters lost a lot of money. A put option, on the other hand, is the opposite of a call option. You buy a put option contract, which states the stock you may own can be bought at a strike price before an expiration date. This means if the stock doesn't go below the strike price, you may not exercise the option to sell the stock with a strike price. If it does go below the strike price, then you exercise your put, sell it at a strike price, then possibly even rebuy it at the free market price, which is lower, and the difference being your profit. Options trading is risky, and there's a form of financial derivatives. I've talked about this before. Think about derivatives as similar to insurance policies. We buy insurance policies all the time, car, home, income protection. Now, the other option in terms of put options is to actually sell the put option contract itself rather than the stock. As the expiration date nears and the price of the stock is below the strike price, the put option contract increases in value. It basically the opposite of a call option is a put option. So that's shorting the stocks and buying put options. I don't do options trading. It's too risky for me. Strategy three, dividend hunting. Dividends are rewards for investors for holding a company's stock. To use an example, if a stock price is $2 and pays $0.10 in dividends, it means the dividend yield is 5%.
During a bear market, if the stock drops to a dollar, that is 50% less, then the dividend yield will become 10%. Your yield doubles thanks to a lower stock price. But this only works if the company's fundamentals is still very strong. They still have good cash flow, good income, good profits. They've just been taken down with the others due to the bear market. So the company is actually valuable. Having said this, dividends can be cut during a bear market, as has happened during COVID-19. So this strategy may not work all the time, of course. Strategy four. You can just look at ratings agencies for good quality companies or indices or ETFs. Now, ratings agencies like Standard & Poor's or Moody's rate stocks, bonds, index funds, ETFs. And during a bear market, you can look at their ratings to see which companies have the highest credit worthiness. This just means the company is good value. For example, when markets tumble, but rating agencies see a company as a AAA rating, it might indicate it's a good buy. Now, beware about rating agencies. Remember the GFC in 2008, 2009, the ratings agencies basically rated junk securities as good securities and people bought them. And it turned out those securities had mortgage-backed securities. And of course, those mortgages were lent to people that couldn't pay the mortgage. And you can see how ratings agencies can profoundly get things wrong. So I suggest you don't just blindly follow it, but that's one of the strategies that you can use and implement during a bear market. Strategy five, sector investing. Certain sectors, even during a bear market, tend to do well. COVID pandemic markets has highlighted this. Netflix, for example, people watch more isolation TV than ever before. The stock of Netflix has gone up. Amazon, people buy more online shopping. The stock of Amazon has gone up. Afterpay, again, people spending money they don't have. A bizarre concept that I don't understand, but this has made the stock market make massive gains for those three stocks. During bull markets, industries like manufacturing, auto industries, high technologies, travel and tourism, home improvement, machinery companies, and their stocks, they all do well on a bull market because people have money to spend. These are sectors which represent consumer wants. During bear markets, people don't have money to spend. They're very fearful. They want to keep their money. They don't want anything except for the basic things. Utilities. People need electricity, water, gas, infrastructure, internet, phone, road transport, consumer staples, food, shopping, the basics. We still need to eat and poop, no matter a pandemic. How can we forget the great toilet paper crisis of 2020? So sector investing might be a strategy that you might want to consider during a bear market. Because people need essentials. We still need to do certain things. Strategy six, using margin wisely. Now, I don't borrow money in general, especially for the stock market investments. This might sound like a crazy strategy for active investors, but hear me out. Borrowing money during a bear market might make sense. Why? Because during a bear market, an economic downturn, interest rates often fall. People can't afford payments. And no RBA is going to be game enough to rise interest rates. When interest rates fall, it means money is cheap. Therefore, you could take advantage of this, borrowing money with low interest rates. 
and use that to buy stocks. This is called leverage. I've discussed the concept of leverage and margin, which is subtle difference in detail in episode 49. So if you're interested in those concepts, go back and listen to it. So suppose you borrow money at a lower interest rate environment and buy stocks and ride the market cycle. Imagine riding it from March to now, you would have made an easy 1500 point increase in stock market rise, which might be worth a lot more than the cost of interest on your margin loan. Leverage comes with a double-edged sword, of course. If the market tanks a lot or you pick the wrong stock, you may end up having to make a margin call, which means you owe more than what your stocks are worth and you may be forced to sell stocks to pay off the debt. And of course, this also means selling stocks at the worst possible time, and that is during a bear market. So borrow money at your own risk. It comes with benefits, but it also comes with extraordinary risks. And strategy seven is investing in commodities and precious metals or bonds, which might be an option. When markets are volatile and in a bear market situation, often precious metals, the prices go up. Gold, for example, the price does go up during these times, and it has gone up if you have a look at the charts. Furthermore, bond prices also rise. The reason for this is because people feel afraid, so they want to put money into things that feel safe, and they feel safe putting money into treasury bonds or putting money into precious metals such as gold, because again, it's a comfort factor. It's also because people may take money out of the stock market and look for more secure investments. Now, the secure investments like bonds and gold don't have the same amount of returns as the stock market or property, but that's okay. At least they're not negative. At least you don't lose money on them. For example, gold has risen 16% in the last six months and currently trading at 1933 US dollars an ounce. So that's about it in terms of bear and bull markets. I hope this clarifies bear and bull markets. I hope this clarifies strategies for bull markets and especially bear markets. A quick revision, of course, on risk, volatility, market correction, and derivative trading. Before I finish up this episode, I had a question recently from a medical student. Let's call the medical student Jay. And the question is, should I be saving up for a property or investing in stocks. Then after I buy the first property, should I buy further properties or then start investing in the stock market? Now, the fact that Jay is asking this question is quite amazing. Asking questions, learning early in your medical career will mean you're well-equipped for the future. To answer this question, let's take the emotion out of it. Money has no emotion, but property does it does have some emotional connections, an emotional element to it. Let's focus on the numbers only. I've also excluded units and I've excluded apartments for this analysis. So let's have a look at how property has done between 1993 to 2018, which is around 25 years. In 1993, the median home price across the nation in Australia was 123,840 bucks. Those were the glory days. In 2018, the median home price across the nation was 584,740 bucks. That's a rise of 412%. That's an amazing increase of $460,000 in the median 
household price across the nation. That gives you an annual compound growth rate of about 6.8%. That's pretty respectable. Let's have a look at how the Aussie stock market has done during the exact same period. During the same period, the Aussie stock market rose by 966%, with an annual compound growth rate of 9.93%. But if property grows at the same level that it has over the last 25 to 30 years, the projected medium home price in Australia in 2043 is going to be $2.9 million. This is a national average. So if you're a homeowner today, you're going to be a multimillionaire by the time you retire in 30 years' time. But this is slightly unfair. It's an unfair comparison. Just like not all stock markets are the same, not all stocks are the same, not all property markets, properties are the same. Let's take into account just Melbourne and Sydney and pit the returns against the Aussie stock market because Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Hobart and Darwin may have let the Aussie stock market down. So let's look at the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, Melbourne and Sydney and compare it to the Australian stock market over the last 25 years between 93 and 1998. Melbourne median house price was 824955 with an annual growth rate of about 8.1%. The ASX was annual growth rate of 9.93%, still beat Melbourne. Sydney, $1.026 million with a median home price. The annual growth rate was only 7.6%. Even though the value of the property market rose significantly in Sydney, the annual rate is only 7.6%. So over the last 25 years, Melbourne has actually beaten Sydney in terms of the gains accounted for in the property sector. But again, comparing that to the stock market, it was 9.93%. Still, the stock market won. What about in 2043? What about Melbourne and Sydney? What are the median home prices potentially could be worth if the current trend continues? Well, in Melbourne, it'll be worth $5.8 million. And in Sydney, it'll be worth $6.34 million. So the answer to the question, Jay, is... Stock market has outperformed the property market between 93 to 2018, over 25 years, and likely this trend will continue in the long term. Furthermore, we're not even considering the time and money spent on maintaining property, repairs, bills, council rates, land taxes, etc. Property also generally involves leverage, that is borrowing money, So we haven't taken into account the interest payments for the loans. And of course, leverage goes both ways, property and shares. So share margin accounts have a slightly higher interest rates, but can be tax deductible. But personal property, the home you live in, the interest on that is not tax deductible. So the bottom line is, when it comes to making money and nothing else, stocks, share markets generally outperform the property market over the long term, even accounting for the unprecedented property growth we've seen in Australia over the last 30 years. That's the money talking. Now, here's the real answer. I think living in your own home is way better than renting or living in someone else's home. So if you take into account an emotional aspect, that owning your own home is better than having a stock portfolio. I log into my Vanguard portfolio and see a figure. Yeah, it's great. It's getting bigger, 
but it doesn't do anything emotionally. It doesn't provoke any emotional response. And if it does, it doesn't last very long. It's just a number. But owning a home is something very different. We built our home. We designed it. We watched it being built. We dealt with problems. We decorated it. We bought specific furniture for it. It's a very emotional moment. Coming home makes me happier than logging into my Vanguard stock portfolio. So Jay, the real answer is buy your first home. I think that's very important. Now, what about future investments after you've bought and paid off your first home? What do you do? Diversification is key. Personally, I have investment properties, superannuation and index funds. I maintain that during the COVID-19 crisis, I did not need to give my Vanguard portfolio any rental relief. I don't owe any money to the bank with my stock portfolio. It's just so much easier to maintain a stock portfolio than it is an investment property. I didn't have to fix the toilet. I didn't have to do plumbing or garage for my Vanguard portfolio. But I've done all of these things for my investment properties. But if you're the sort of person who likes to own brick and mortar and get an emotional kick out of owning investment properties, then go for it. Because the numbers suggest that even if you invest in property versus stocks, you will end up doing well. There's nothing wrong with having investments in property. You'll still do well. Having a home in Melbourne in 30 years time worth $6 million is not a bad thing. It's a good thing for you, the property owner. Whichever way I think, Jay, you'll do well in your investing life because you're asking the right questions, you're thinking the right things, and you're doing it early in your career. So hopefully, what is the final Devraga answer to that question? Always buy your first property. I think that's important. That's an emotional decision. And you will become wealthy by owning property in Australia. And after that, just pay yourself 20% of after-tax income and invest it in stocks and call it a day. It's much easier. And if you've got some spare cash, save it up and buy more investment properties. That's okay as well. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But I think owning your own home, your first home, is a must. It's an emotional decision. It makes you happy and it makes you wealthy. What about investing in stocks and making some money, selling them, and then using it for depositing on a property? This is fine, but remember when you sell anything and make a profit, you realize your gains. This triggers a taxable event. You must pay tax on it, even if you hold it for greater than 12 months, but you do get a 50% CGT discount, but still it's taxable income. So take this into account every time you buy and sell. The ATO won't stand by when you count your stock market riches. And of course, there's fees associated with this, including stamp duty, etc. That's about it for this episode. Thank you very much for the questions, the likes and the comments. Please make sure you give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or any podcasting app you're using. It really helps promote the podcast so more people can download and listen to it. 
Remember to like Devraga Facebook page, shout out to questions and comments or topic suggestions. Share this channel with family and friends on Apple Podcasts, Anchor Apps, CastBox FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Player FM, and of course, directly via devraga.com. And remember, always pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside and start investing early in your life. Learn about bull and bear markets. And if you have an active investor, that's okay. But if you're just a passive investor like me, just chuck the chuck the money into the market, do it over the long term and just switch on the dividend reinvestment plan. Think about some strategies though, if you are an active investor, which you can take advantage of in such markets. And thank you again, Jay, for your wonderful question. This is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 91. And as always, please make sure that you stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.